Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Yes. Hey, fellas. Guess what? What's that, Chicken Jason? Isabella Johnny could make me forget the cry of the morning cock, if you know what I mean. Unfortunately, I always do. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation of her name um, because I, I really wanted to make sure I got it right in case she was listening. Um, uh, uh, Miss uh, Ajani. If you're listening, hi, I'm Cody. Um, the <laughs> the the Google auto pronunciation said Agony, which I thought sounded weird. So I looked for the director of Possession. Granted, he's not like a um, he's not American. He says nor is he uh, Agony. French? He says Agony like you did, Jason. So I th- I'm just gonna go with that because it just okay feels better. Yeah, I typically gravitate toward a Johnny, but mm-hmm. I, like she is the emphasis I think on she's that French, syllable. right? So yes. Yeah. I have no idea. Ajane. Yeah. Ajane. Maybe don't look up her opinions on either vaccinations or Roman Polanski. But. <laughs> oh, no. Is, uh, is this a Barbara Stanwyck situation? Uh, I mean, it's it starts be. out she real is... promising, is what I'll say. She, she has done some great advocacy for um, immigration reform, but does not end the way you would like it to. But she's also more than 50 years old, so she's got like a 70% chance of being an asshole. That's right. generously i would say i would a a distant second in terms of the most problematic person that's on this particular film i would say though uh in in spite of her questionable politics there is a standout in terms of problematic figures that appear in this film that we're going to be discussing a certain gentleman yes indeed well let's let's get to talking about these certain uh gentlemen and gentlewomen of uh of the film uh thank you very much uh, kind listeners, upstanding gentlemen, gentlewomen, and gentle uh, all gender representations. This is Trilove. Um, this is a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's right, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon itself at Trilon Cinema or at Trilon.org. You can get tickets and merch there. Uh, and I think you should do that. It's a lot of fun to to go to um, to wear their merchandise. I'm wearing related merchandise right now. Uh, this is an audio format, so you can definitely tell from where you yeah, from wherever you're listening. Um, if it's not clear, coming on coming in hot off of watching the episode uh, movie. But for right now, I need to get my ugh, very witty quick quote out of the way. Um, sometimes I'm so blind. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis, and uh, I can be found on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Carve a Skin. We're recording this on Halloween. Happy belated Halloween to our listeners. Um, problematic politics notwithstanding, I too would sail across the Black Sea if it meant I could live next door to Isabel Ajani. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. For me, the absence of love is the most abject pain. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. Wait, I thought you were going to pull a quote from the movie, Harry. Me too. <laughs> 
All right. Today we're being we're going to be discussing 1979's Nosferatu: The Vampire, uh, a reimagining of the 1920 20, excuse me 22 film Nosferatu by Werner Herzog, playing uh, I believe it's the first in the early Herzog series, playing the Trilon, um, which you can find all the movies that are going to be covered there, and that we'll probably be covering on this podcast at Trilon.org. Jeez, uh, bus going by. This is a chaotic episode already. Uh, perfectly in time for spooky Halloween. Um, uh, let's see. Aaron is uh, currently on the road uh, after having uh, graced us with his presence for our previous episode on the Horathon. But uh, I have graciously stepped in. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome to cover the patented Aaron Grossman summary. Once again, licensed uh, under exclusive license uh, of Aaron Grossman Enterprises. Uh, and this film, uh, I'm not going to be able to give a deep dive on it, but hey, it's Dracula. Uh, it is um, like 50 some years later, Werner uh, Herzog said, uh, this is one of the best German films ever, uh, originally by F.W. Murnau, um, and he wanted to make a version of it himself. So he made a stylized version of the story of Nosferatu, uh, changed some locations, changed some names, uh, and gave it apparently a Herzog touch, which I have yet to figure out what that means. This is nice because I get to transition specifically uh, into my own thoughts about the film, um, if that was a, a, an appropriate covering of the film. It's 1979. Uh, it uh, stars Klaus Kinski as the titular uh, vampire. It stars Isabella Johnny as um, Lucy Har- Harkins. Uh, Harkins? Um and, I think Harker, uh, sorry, just Harker. Harker. You, you, you can correct me. Like, please jump in. Um, and Jonathan Harker uh, is played by Bruno Gans, who appeared in Wings of Desire, a film that we formerly covered on this podcast uh, with special guest Kelly Krantz. Go back and listen to that. Um, that was a wonderful, fun episode and a really uh, fun movie. Well, maybe not a fun movie, but a really good movie to watch. Um, so that is the main body of the round out, rounded out cast. Uh, let's see. I, I, how much more does Aaron usually give this? I mean, he would probably go on and on and on, but, uh, a fine summary, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, I had a, um, an interesting experience watching it. I wasn't able to catch it at the trial on, uh, and I, the, the widely available version on streaming is currently the English version. I found that there were two versions of this film actually filmed, um, roughly with, uh, you know, some dialogue in German, some dialogue in English, some repeated, some, um, you know, dubbed, uh, just to give, you know, international marketability and play to the film. Um, they filmed it in two different versions. I saw the predominantly English, well, all English language and predominantly, um, actually like recorded in English rather than just ADR in version, uh, that's currently available on streaming. So, uh, I know Cody had a different experience. We'll get around to that and we'll see maybe how some things changed. Um, I, there's a lot, I guess, that's been done with the uh, Nosferatu myth over the last, obviously, like hundred and some years um, to try and make it. I, I don't know, like there there are humanist bents, like it, it. There's been, you know, oh, it's um, allegory for like the fading aristocracy, the fading European aristocracy. It has been uh, sort of taken as uh, most notoriously, I guess, um, anti-Semitic. Uh, representation of like, you know, quote unquote, the Jewish invasion of Germanic homeland. It's been, uh, you know, the, the homoerotic subtext has been uh, sort of litigated and relitigated and sort of twisted and figured out. Uh, and, you know, we've seen obviously the whole vampire myth become a huge part of uh, LGBT uh, filmmaking, you know, between like Jennifer's body. And uh, I'm sure, you know, there are dozens of other great examples that I'm not gonna be able to think of because I don't actually watch that many movies. Uh, but I guess this is a movie that made me remember or that made me th- think about it like, Obviously, the origin of this story, as written by Bram Stoker back in the late 1800s, whenever that was, was literally just 
a man looks at a creepy old castle and says, what if a weird guy lived there? Uh, and then just building back from there, you know, it's just a very like base understanding of a person. There's sort of a pathetic quality to the uh, vampire in this movie, um, which is not necessarily unique, but I think is really leaned into in a way that other uh, vampire stories that other Dracula stories in specific haven't really in a lot of ways. Um, there are <laughs> multiple times where he has just like m- dialogues with the people that he's uh, uh, victimizing before he actually does it. Um, the most glaring of which, and one of the most interesting of which I think is before like the night before um, he uh, uh, Isabella Johnny uh, as Lucy actually like spoilers um, lures him to her bedroom and, uh, and kills him with the morning sun before that happens. There's an encounter, which may have, may or may not have been a dream uh, where they just like talk about what they're afraid of and what they sort of have to lose. Uh, his consistent line is that, you know, um, there's nothing worse than not being able to die. Uh, I agree, Harry in the chat, it is the best scene. Uh, and her refrain is that she has something to protect. She has something to live for. Sort of her pr- philosophy uh, is in direct contrast to that, to where like the wonder of life, the purpose of life is to live it knowing that you will die, knowing that there is a finite element to it. Um, and sort of like, you know, they both have, it's a very, really interesting, um, I guess, interplay between life philosophies and uh, sort of perspectives that a lot of these, because they're more focused either on the creepiness of the character or of the, you know, sort of uh, subtext to a lot of, you know, that I've already rattled off here, uh, they tend to lose focus on that element of it, like him as a human, quote unquote, human or formerly human pathetic character. Um, And I like just the fact that this movie leaned into it and like makes that part of its whole like stylistic um, uh, delivery uh, acting, everything just forwards that about that character. Um, You know, in the, even in the soundtrack, there are whole scenes where I guess I I won't go into too many more specifics because it's probably ruining the rest of the conversation for me, but um, the, just the way that the movie moves toward the conclusion, we know it's all going toward that, you know, he will uh, be killed by, you know, he will, his uh, Achilles heel will be a uh, beautiful, pure hearted woman who can, uh, you know, keep him uh, until the sun rises and sort of like, you know, be a vice uh, that, that give you know, the whole center of the myth is sort of given a different lean, I guess, a different tack, um, a different, like I was able to sort of see it a little more clearly than some of the other uh, portrayals that I've seen since, I guess that have come out since the seventies, since the late seventies, as this movie did. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it goes without saying like, there's a lot of really, I don't know too much about the background of the, of the making of this movie. So I won't, um, you know, apologies if what I'm about to say gets me canceled, but there's a lot of really impressive uh, work with um, landscapes. There's a lot of really impressive work with animals in this movie. I get a, bad feeling that that probably was to the detriment of the animals on set that is correct like, sir well very good who, who would have thought uh, <laughs> I, I think i read that there were like eleven thousand rats or something like that 10 there was an old uh, there were New York thousands less by the end of the filming fear not yikes, yikes. uh but it is uh, like it looks really incredible it moves in a really like brooding haunting way um i quite enjoyed watching the movie it is probably I guess not that I have a whole lot of comparisons to make, but probably my favorite version of the Dracula story, um, just because of that sort of very, very, very character focus and less on the horror of it and more on the, um, you know, like building from there's a weird guy. Uh, what does he feel about like his current life sort of thing? Um, 
char- more character study than uh, than monster movie. Uh, as I'm going to assume, you know, I, I sort of hinted at earlier, this was my first Herzog film. I went back through his filmography. I've actually never seen anything else directed by him. Um, I just recognize his face and sort of his place in the industry. So I uh, am looking forward to, you know, digging into the rest of, of the work that they're going to be playing at the trial on, um, including Aguirre and uh, I guess a few others. I'm, I'm biding time until I get my notes over uh, because I would like to see if there's a really snappy way to toss to Cody for his thoughts, but I, I don't know. Um, uh, let, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm creeping above, uh, Cody. He's, he's napping on the couch. I'm creeping above him. My fingernails are like six inches long and I'm about to, I'm about to, uh, attack him. And, and he wakes up, uh, he just, just before <gasps> I get to him is he's sheet white. And he says, Nosferatu. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. hi, thank you. That was a great transition, Jason. Um, Hello, everyone. Yeah, I um, I had not seen this film prior to yesterday. I have seen the um, the original, well, air quotes, or original Nosferatu, the the 1922 adaptation. Um, and I have also, as you might have guessed from that poor shoddy attempt a few moments ago, I have seen the uh, SpongeBob episode Graveyard Shift a, a multitude of times. Um, I'm well-versed in that episode. Um, so the, I have some general famili- familiarity with um, Nosferatu and with um, vampires and Draculas abound. Um, uh, you know, this, So that's that's my baseline going into this. I've only seen one other film uh, of Herzog's, um, which was Fitzcarraldo. Um, I watched that back in college when, I don't know, I, I don't remember loving it, but I also am willing to chalk that up to uh, just my capability for media literacy. Literacy was um, at a completely different level uh, way back then. Um, so I, I genuinely also, kind of like Jason, I don't know what to expect with the rest of the the Herzog series. I don't know if the like the trends and the stylistic preferences, the sort of uh, quote-unquote um, Herzog touch that um, we saw in this movie and that we talk more about here uh, will hold true for his other films as well. That'll be fun to check out. Uh, and also, as Jason alluded to, just my experience. So I, I did watch the um the german version i went to fandor first because using uh using uh, my letterboxd uh profile um i'm able to see which streaming services uh are and renting services are showing this movie i went to fandor first uh which i recently subscribed to they from what i could tell had both the english and german version um and uh, i i didn't go much further than that to verify what the differences were because as uh as is the case with a lot of born and bred Midwesterners, when I'm faced with the decision, I uh, freeze up and I run away. Uh, so I left Fandor um, and I went over to Canopy, which is a free, um, I'm, we're going to talk about streaming services for a few moments. Uh, Canopy is a free service um, with participating libraries. So if you have a library card, and I was actually... Um, that um, I don't know. I'd been considering that for a while, and it was a Twitter conversation. I think a few weeks ago with um, with uh, the aforementioned Kelly and Matt Clark, two previous guests on the pod, um, uh, pointed out that um, if you have a library card um, at the like at a Ramsey County library, so I guess folks in the Twin Cities area, um, then that works with whoops, that works with Canopy. So um, I went there. I think it's also on Tubi TV. I don't know if that's the English or the German version, um, but that is also a free streaming service. In any case, uh, I watched the German version on Canopy. That was my uh, experience. I don't know how how much I will be able to. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I I, I don't want to say that necessarily. We'll we'll see if we get into the differences between the two versions. That might be interesting if there is something significant. Um, I liked this movie. Uh, there's a lot of stuff 
in here that I, I really quite liked uh, the, especially in the first stack, those sort of um, outdoor environments, the on-location shooting. There's some really, really beautiful cinematography. Uh, and then later in the film, as we get into the, the sort of indoor uh, gothic sets and the, the ornamentation of everything, um, the sort of uh, the, the clutter and, and the decor and the details, all of that sung really, really well for me. I'm not great at articulating like set decoration and things. Um, but I just know that a lot of stuff here, uh, fit really well in, in my, um, meager brain. Uh, I also liked the use of, um, handheld, uh, when they did employ like handheld camera work, uh, that just felt very dynamic and a really cool thing for them to do with this, this type of story. Uh, this, I don't know, occasionally it felt, uh, stretched maybe a, a bit, I don't want to say a bit thin, but, um, it, that might just go with the uh, the Herzog touch that we've been poking and prodding at. Um, then again, it could just be in part because I know the original was like 80 minutes long. Um, and when I look at this and see that it's about a half hour longer, you do the math of like, okay, where's that time getting put into? Um, but I will say like taking the extra time to sort of sit and soak in, you know, the, the moods and the, um, the the I, the main town I, I guess the town as well as um, Dracula's sort of estate um, you know spending extra time in those those natural environments those mountains that also did kind of feel like a strength even if it adversely uh, affected the pacing as a result um, I, I will say probably my MVP for this for this the autumn of 2021. Um, you know for this season is uh, Isabel Ajani um, having uh, watched Ishtar over the past couple months, um, which she's great in, and uh, seeing, because we're still in spooky season, uh, Possession, which without any trace of hyperbole is one of one of the best, maybe even the best like performance in a film I've ever seen. She's absurdly, absurdly good. Um, and she's great in this uh, as well. It's a completely different performance um, from uh, from something like Possession, uh, but I'll, I'll leave that alone. Um, but yeah, I, I like this movie. This has been a busy Halloween weekend, and um, I, I think I got everything I needed to hopefully out of this movie. If there are some details I, I missed, it's because I, I'm running on fumes. Um, so disclaimer for me, um, I'm looking forward to us talking about this. I'm looking forward to learning more about Herzog, his films, um, etc., everything else. Um, as we as we wrap up spooky season here and talk about a movie with uh with a vampire in it um sorry uh, i just cut myself with uh my my pen here and i'm nervous because i see harry staring at me with these big wide eyes and he's sort of like shuffling over towards me uh, what i'm gonna do i'm just Cody, gonna that, give him the microphone poisoned i, I want to suck it out it's the oldest method if you if you would just let me uh, excuse that's, me. Uh, here, uh, that's here. That's okay. Uh, you I'm take this microphone. It, I'm already doing it. I'm already no, sucking the blood uh, out. No, no, no. That's the microphone. That's you've been fooled. You've been fooled. I'm, I'm walking away. Um, I'm just tricking maybe, the book. You got me. I was transfixed gotcha. by your purity, Cody, as I always am. Uh, hello. Yes, it is I, uh, Harry. I really like this movie as well. I think there's a lot to talk about. I was particularly transfixed, you can use that word again, by the class politics of this movie. I think it's really interesting the way that Herzog had talked about the class politics and the, the sort of fading aristocracy that, uh, Jason, you alluded to in your summary as well. Um, I really like the idea of capturing Dracula as not just a cursed creature, um, 
or a trapped creature, but also as something that's fundamentally pathetic. Um, I find him very pitiful in this movie in, in every sense of the word, even though he is also this grand force of um, sort of almost elemental change and corruption um, and the ending of epics, right? Um, I, so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed um, this movie's uh, gender politics, particularly its its concept and sort of reconceptualization of what purity is and what it means. I think Isabel Ajani's character ends up representing a different kind of purity than the men in this movie expect her to have, and it is one that is truer, but that is less sort of virginal and less sort of um, traditionally... Uh, feminine sort of Madonna horror complex. And that proves to be the undoing, in my opinion, of both of the men of this film um, and her own sort of redemption. And I think that that's best characterized in the very philosophical sort of debate that um, Dracula and she have when he visits her bedroom and, and talks about how she he wants her to give love to him the way that she gave it to Jonathan, her husband. And she says that no one, not even God, which is very important, I think, when you consider the the religiousness of her character and of all of the people in this very superstitious uh, time and period uh, can come between her love of herself and Jonathan. And even if Jonathan never recognizes her again, that love will persevere. I thought that that set the stakes between she and no pun intended, by the way, the stakes um, between she and Dracula very well, because I think Dracula is fundamentally the inverse opposite of that, right? He is someone who is so dedicated to preserving the sort of like, passing suits of who he was that he was able to fundamentally um, substitute or corrupt everything else, right? He ceased to be human. He ceased to interact with the world. I think one of my favorite formal decisions that this movie makes is that throughout the second act, we see the daytime and all of the human characters sort of dealing with the consequences of Dracula. And then it cuts to very quickly night and no one is ever inhabiting the night world except for Dracula. And he is moving and doing his thing. And then we watch the fallout occur again and it is like two movies are playing out in parallel right where dracula never touches anything in that second act he until he meets um ajani's character he is completely isolated from the world as if like he lives in a night world right and i think that's the perfect way to look at dracula and his fundamental loneliness as sort of established by the beginning of this movie the first act when he interacts with jonathan talks about how lonely he is um and i i think that it leads to some really interesting fascinating conclusions about about um, the bourgeois uh, and sort of like aristocracy and what they're afraid of losing. Um, I think this is a movie that's sort of fundamentally about, in my opinion, and maybe this is too hot to take, but it's about sort of grief and the fear of loss and the fear of change and what you can let those fears do to you if you um, if you sort of like let yourself be taken in by them, right? I think that uh, Ajani's character represents this sort of like this courage in the face of change and in the face of loss um, by, by sort of like tying herself and or her identity to the, the incorruptible idea of love, this sort of idealization that she says, I know who I am because I know that this love exists in me and nothing can take that from me. Whereas I think um, uh, Nosferatu and much more unfortunately, also her husband kind of come to represent the opposite of that, which to me is sort of a, a stand in for um, the aristocracy itself. This idea that um, in, in order to preserve power or preserve status or pursue the, the trappings and the suits of distinction and of um, preserving 
preservability, I should say, you you will in fact give up everything that um, that you would want to preserve in the first place, and that is sort of the ultimate curse. Um, but I'm I'm really interested in what you guys took away from this because I think there's a lot going on here, and I found it a very um, surprisingly understated film in a lot of ways um, that I'm excited to talk about. Um, despite how sort of like absurdly portentous and self serious it is, right? It it ends up doing a lot more than it says, I think, in some really interesting ways. Um, Jason, what do you think? I I have to agree. Um, I. I really do want to like, because that air of, um, like you said, the, like the, the clear distinctions drawn between somebody like Dracula or like, I think, like you said, um, by the end, but even from the very beginning, it's like pretty obvious that Jonathan as a character is not aligned with, um, I guess Lucy's philosophy, her outlook on life, what she like wants to protect and preserve, I guess, as you know, according to the vocabulary we've sort of said here, um, because from the very beginning, like Jonathan is, uh, you know, on the move, he's on the go. He's sort of a career man managing the estate selling to Dracula. There's a sort of like, um, I mean, the plot, uh, hinges, excuse me, the plot kicks off with, um, uh, Jonathan being set on a path to go sell this property that actually is very near Jonathan's home to Dracula up in the Carpathian mountains. Um, and there's sort of like this looming idea that, okay, you know, you know, because you know, the myth, you know, that things are going to go awry. You know, that, um, the, that Dracula himself is, you know, a villainous figure and all that. But even before that is so clearly set up, you know, universal monsters uh, style execution of like, okay, he has the teeth, he's pale. He only moves at night, etc. Before any of those signifiers show up, you sort of get the idea that Jonathan is like a prime, uh, I won't say victim for this, but a prime subject for like actually colliding with a character like like Dracula because of his focus on, you know, the first thing he thinks of when he sees that there could be a sale to some creepy old guy that people fear up in the Carpathian Mountains is I would be able to buy Lucy a nicer home with that. That's so crucial. I'm really, really glad you brought that up, right? Because he he immediately like weirdly like victimizes Lucy or uses her as an excuse for his own sort of material greed is that like he says that immediately. He's like, well, my wife deserves the best. And so I have to provide the best. And he sets off and abandons her. And she's like, hey, can we just go chill on the beach? Can we just go like exactly. on, a date on the beach? And he's like, no, I have to go sell to this this very rich dude so that we can be rich so that I can buy you a better house. Right. And, you know, my intro line that I bungled at the very top of this episode is, is Jonathan saying, sometimes I'm so blind because like he can't see that right. like the, the thing, the thing that is actually worth staying alive for the love of his life is right in front of him. They have means, they seem to be like comfortable. They seem to be happy. She has these, uh, you know, um, uh, Oracle like, um, visions, nightmares, uh, of bats and of dead bodies and stuff, um, that sort of like portend the evil that is to come. And I think that must just be more stylistic than anything because the character like is very intent on keeping him there. She says, you are always eating on the run. It's not good for you. She wants a better life for him. And that does not mean for her does not mean better trappings does not mean like more money does not mean a better like standard of living. It means being closer for longer. Right. Uh, and like I said, I think that is what puts Jonathan particularly such an interesting character against uh, a Dracula. And then, of course, with um, with Lucy in the mix, it's like, OK, this is both their this is both their reason for living and both of what they want to sort of destroy. You know, they are like equivalent characters with her not Ooh. necessarily damseled in the middle, but like uh, still the object of both of their obsession in different ways. Definitely. Uh, great points. The both of you, I will 
try my hand at, I guess, commenting on both of them simultaneously. Uh, and I, I'm glad that we, I, I guess, pretty, I, still relatively early on here, brought, you know, brought it back to like, how did it start out? Um, Bruno Gans, um, it's going to be hard not to just call him Bruno Gans. Jonathan Harker, uh, like he, he wants, he wants all the best, uh, for his wife, Lucy. And so he sets off on this journey. It's, there were, it was here and like a few other moments where like, I got to thinking to myself, man, is, is Nosferatu like an anti-capitalist fable? And like, I don't know if that's necessarily like the right one-to-one thing to draw, but like, yeah, like the, the fact that the, the pursuit, um, in this, uh, in this messed up sort of, uh, I don't know, system that we have here that we're, that we're, um, watching play out in the story that the fact that the the desire for wealth and to um rise up out of the muck it blinds us to uh, like everything else around us even the most glaring obvious like red flags um watching uh jonathan interact with uh renfield it just uh, who like is somehow only like the second most suspicious person in the movie renfield who's like a, a tweaking daffy duck with that does all throughout like the latter half of the movie um uh and then later when he when he um meets up with uh the count himself but just like and you know it and he goes off to he finds himself in the tavern and does the classic like oh you're going where and then it's a hush falls over oh my like the, my goodness i i'm going to clip room. that because like yeah. in that tavern that moment they're like oh what castle are you going to and you know what's happening and there's like it's this right. moment of comedy because he says oh dracula's and literally like a plate shatters and everybody turns <laughs> around it's just i laughed out loud at that moment even there though are it some is weirdly like, funny parts of this movie right yeah. like i really thought yeah. that the eating on a run thing was a joke also i was like ah, you get it like <laughs> dracula taking this one to go uh sorry for derailing cody but i have just had to drive home like that is a yeah. very self-aware moment i think yeah, no, not at all. And like, I, I like the humor, I, I think is, uh, it's one of the few, well, I don't know. I don't want to say it's one of the few bits of humor. I, I think it gets hard. It gets harder to laugh as we go through the movie. But yeah, in that tavern, like the compounding stories of like, well, this person went here and we never saw them again. Or like this, uh, I can't remember the specifics. This, you know, this person got out and they have three heads now. That wasn't one of them. But just like all this compounding evidence of like, hey, you shouldn't go here. And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. That's that's my job. I gotta I gotta do it. I'm Jonathan Harker, uh, the world's biggest sucker. And uh, just I like the fact that he has his blinders on perpetually because of uh, just like happenstance, because of situation, because of um, you know ritual and tradition, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's. I don't it, it like it I don't know it we as outside observers can see him you know I watch it it's like man Jonathan Arker you're one tremendous colossal idiot whereas like other people look at us and it's like man they have to pay for healthcare through their employer that's <laughs> don't Who's they know the how vampire? yeah don't they know how fucked up that is and I was like oh yeah you got a point uh aliens watching us from afar um but I, I guess anyway bringing it back the the sort of point of the movie um or like one of the potential points of this movie like Harry was saying the um just having having like the the courage and, and willingness to fight in the face of like inevitable tragedy like like Carrie said, that we know what is going to happen. We know what the end game here is like, um, for, I mean, either because it's telegraphed, um, like super well, or because just, we know the story by now, 
um, like seeing everybody other than that sort of town hall meeting where they're like uh, a ship is here and there's like a plague aboard it and everybody just kind of like ups and leaves that that was also uh, like I don't know darkly humorous just like everybody wordlessly kind of like gets up and scurries away um, after that it's I get the sort of um, night and day um, things like you guys are talking about where it's it, like two movies playing out simultaneously and after a few of those exchanges it's almost not like a, a willing apocalypse, but it's one that feels like very complacent. And you see that group of people who are dining and just like, well, we all have the plague. Um, we're all going to die here pretty quick here. Let's, let's celebrate. And, uh, uh, Lucy being one of the few people who's like, actually, like I care about this kind of a lot. Like I care about fighting for uh, myself and, and love and all that good stuff. And it, it I don't know, be, because all that's worth it. However meager and pointless it is. Uh, and the ending is very, somber i mean it capitalizes on all that we you know um we can't uh i don't we we can't <laughs> we can't put dr van helsing in jail because it's a wasteland and, and nothing matters um we can't really do much of anything but there's a vampire who uh says explicitly that he has much work to do and he has to be off and man what a note to end on um so much all that is to, say- to do right like that's yeah. The, yeah. the movie is like very clear about that right right yeah, so yeah, who are the real vampires? So yeah, I don't I'm, know. All that is, I gotta to, eat all that on is the to run. say, like, <laughs> sorry, I'll I'll stop talking. But yeah, that's I don't know. The 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 points are all there. I think the texture is really really rich. Yeah, I really want to drill further into Jonathan's psychology, right? Because I think that that's a really really great point that you've been making, which is that I think that this, I mean, it portrays Jonathan as this like workaholic in a in a really funny and in weird way right but but in a way that really drills into like the truth behind a lot of that sort of like workaholic psychology and that's that that is the framework in which he is comfortable right like i think in the the first act of this movie which it it kind of goes so fast you can blink and miss it but like first of all he and his wife don't sleep together they sleep in separate beds um and then second she's younger than him i think significantly younger than him just to look at both of them i mean you could chalk that up to um just you know fucking movie casting in the 70s but like i i chose to read it sort of textually um she also wants to be close to him in a way that he is clearly not interested in i mean she's the one who wants him to stay she's the one who wraps her arms around him and embraces him and kisses him and begs him not to leave her whereas he is most interested in her when he is writing journal entries to himself that he has no intention of sending to her and staring at a portrait of her in all of her virginal majesty, right? She is not a wife to him. She is something that he can place on a pedestal because it's not really about his relationship with her. It's about how being with her makes him feel about himself, right? He has this platonic relationship with this Virgin Mary type of character that he can protect and help prosper. And that is what he really wants from her in my mind right and like maybe i'm reading too much into this freudian style but like especially when you compare what uh dracula wants to take from her which is her purity and her vital force and her blood right like obviously the the sexuality of her interactions with dracula are um text they're made obvious but she is the one who takes it sexually right and her sexuality is actually ultimately what destroys dracula there is a turn watching her that isabel um ajani actually had talked about where she says like you can see between feeding there is a turn that occurs where she begins to interpret this sexually and she begins to sort of draw in dracula and there is a power dynamic switch that occurs there and 
I, in my mind, that's what the movie is talking about when it talks about purity is not necessarily this sort of like virginal purity, but it is the heroism of that character. She's doing this for her husband and she's doing it for the village, right? Like Lucy Harker is destroying Dracula. She's the hero of this story and she's using the way that she is objectified and the way that she is put on a pedestal in order to do that. And then it just so happens that, like, in my mind, the ultimate irony of this movie is that her husband fails her because he is not equal to her love for him. Because what he is interested in is preserving this idea of himself as landed gentry, as pure, as wealthy, as a sort of like a working, vital man, right? And so the ultimate irony is that he becomes a vampire. He gets exactly what he wants. I mean, that the version of vampirism that he... Uh, attains at the end of the movie is exactly what he was trying to create for himself at the beginning of the movie, right? Like that the great irony is that like when we aspire to be Dracula, Dracula is exactly what we become. We distance ourselves from our loved ones. We distance ourselves from our humanity because it's not what we really want. What we really want is this idea of ourselves as unchangeable and incorruptible and ultimately the most corrupt that we can be, right? So there's a really great sort of like subversion of the classical idea of Nosferatu here where it's the the compulsion of the vampire, that draw is something very opposite of what it it could be right. It instead of sort of like vitalness, it's this fundamental sort of like distancing that you want because of what it allows you to become for yourself and what it allows you to sort of like hold over others. You know? Yeah, I, I you are getting at like something that I I felt throughout the movie, but only in retrospect was there to really put together. Um, like the way it sets up uh, the Dracula story makes me like pretty excited for where they could take it. Um, but it is still tied uh, in, in the end to the, you know, basic plot trappings of the Dracula myth, like you say, and like we've all you know intimated, it's, it does subvert those in a lot of interesting ways, but generally it still follows the main big plot beats. Um, but like from the moment he like, I don't know, his first visit to the castle, Jonathan, when he first gets to Dracula's castle, by then he has not only heard all of the warnings from the, uh, from the villagers um, in the nearby town, he has not only read about the about you know the 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 evils that lie there in their books and he's been warned by literally everybody he's come across um he actually gets there and he the motherfucker has a clock made of a human skeleton with like a, a ringing bell in a human skull and the just the most obviously like macabre obviously this person will will try to feed on you type shit in the world uh, and yet he like willingly places himself there. He, he is, he, 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 like nobody has pulled the wool over his eyes in the way that I think, um, you know, sort of the Dracula myth has been told before where he like, this is why it's hard to call Jonathan a victim is be for me anyway, is because he like chooses all of this. Nobody has like tricked him into going there. Nobody has substituted anything. He is fully, or at least like logically, he is fully aware of the danger of like what this represents of what Dracula is. And yet chooses that um, based on, you know, again, we've already talked about his, uh, you know, lust for power, his, you know, it, maybe it's, uh, um, uh, what was the term I'm looking for? Uh, less than obvious, you know, it's not really uh, 
part of his own consciousness, but he is aware of what he's doing. He's aware of the situation he's putting himself in and likely the situation he's putting his, his wife in because there's a scene where Dracula's like, let me sign the papers now because the house that you're selling me is very <laughs> close to the house you live in. Uh, he's, he literally sees a picture of, of uh, Jonathan's wife is like, she has a beautiful throat. Anyway, can I sign those papers now? Uh-huh. Could we do it now? And Jonathan's <laughs> like, but we haven't even talked about the price. And he's like, oh yeah, don't worry about that. That's fine. Whatever, whatever Anything you think is, is good. Yeah, it is. It is like just you said red flags, Cody. And that's what was like um, to me was like all of this, all of the food that's uneaten, all of the rats and bats and, uh, you know, just creepy shit in this castle, even for a guy in 1813 or whenever this is set, who is really interested in making his way up into the world and becoming, you know, a figure of the bourgeoisie. He like very clearly knows what he's doing. He's um, sort of like. Uh, the, I, I think it's just hard to reconcile that against the sort of what Dracula became as a universal monster figure, you know, um, as like, you know, different interpretations of him, of him uh, ended up sort of dominating cultural consciousness as, you know, a victimizer, as somebody who preys upon, uh, you know, the innocent, the ones who don't deserve it. And sure he does in this film as well. But um, what, what Jonathan wants, I think is way more important than what actually happens to him. Uh, because like the horrors of Dracula are then visited most importantly on his wife, his wife actually dies to try and stop it. Um, I, I don't know. There's, there's a bigger idea about, you know, freedom and captivity that I want to tie this to, but I see Harry's got his hand up. So I will, I will, uh, ab- abdicate the throne, uh, one last time before we move on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say, I you got at one of the, my favorite things that they do with Dracula in this movie, which is that I feel that a fundamental part of the Dracula mythos is sort of deceit, right? Like he's a deceiver. There is absolutely none of that here, right? Like he even talks to Jonathan from the very start as if it's assumed and understood that he's a vampire. Like motherfucker, the first conversation he has with him is like, never dying and, and actually being alive for centuries uh, and doing the same <laughs> things every day. It gets really old, man. I really hate it. And like, I can't even go out. And Jonathan just sort of is like nodding stupefied. It's like, like he absolutely, un- it's like it, it basically Nosferatu is like the devil. Right. And it's like, there's absolutely no dressing up the devil in this movie. Nobody Nosferatu at no point deceives anyone. Right. Like even the, even as the plague, even when he's coming over on the ship, there's no, there's no sense that, anybody knows doesn't know exactly who and what he is right like i would argue that even jonathan knew all along right like it's almost perfunctory when he figures out that uh when he like draws open the coffin and sees that dracula is inside of it and he's like oh no lucy's in danger right and i uh i also really love what happens to jonathan in the second act because of how crucial it is to me that he doesn't recognize his wife when he gets back right like he is in the sort of delirium of having met a vampire but the way that that manifests in terms of his mental illness is that he doesn't recognize his own wife this is who's supposed to be the person the reason behind all of this right is like the obsession has now sort of like become uh, manifest as opposed to being sort of um, subconscious all along. It was like, it was never really about Lucy in the first place, right? It was about what he wanted and, and how he was going to get it. And now that like is so clear in the, in terms of like the fact that he is undergoing his transformation and the way that that looks is like he is losing sight of the only thing he ever ostensibly wanted or loved in the first place. It's all feeding toward an idea that I've had sort of, baking in my brain about this movie since I started watching it, but I was only now really starting to take shape. Um, as we talk like 
it's probably way too like this is going to ignore way too many of the plot specifics and probably contradict a lot of what this movie is actually doing. But this concept of like, there is a great Cody alluded to this by mentioning like the big open spaces and the vistas and the landscapes we get in the first act. There's this like dichotomy, this almost warring dichotomy between like the concept of freedom and the concept of captivity and sort of represented by um, uh, Lucy uh, as like a, a symbol of freedom, a symbol of like self-actualization. And there is on the other side, there's this symbol of uh, captivity and being a slave to like a power that you, um, you know, I presumably chose for yourself or, you know, sort of the situation that you find yourself in and embodied in Dracula, you know, he's, he's chained by immortality. He hates, you know, watching people come and go. Uh, he, he, lo- he hates doing the same thing over and over all those classic, like the immortal man is the saddest in the world type trope stuff. Um, but, that is reflected at least as I saw it in the movie through like in the first act, we get these really like some of the opening shots of the film are like really beautiful, uh, open air shots of, you know, the German countryside or Czechoslovakia, wherever, wherever they shot these specific shots. Um, slowly that starts to give way to like, you know, tighter spaces. Uh, this is another thing that Cody brought up in his, in his intro, but like those tighter spaces of the castle, the, um, you know, literally being, you know, trapped in a coffin eventually, like just the, 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 the sort of, uh, uh, cage like nature of the city that they end up in and that they're all, that they all end up trapped by. There's that great scene where I think again, it's sort of posited as a dream, but where Lucy is um, walking through the town square and everybody's partying because the plague is happening and we're all going to die anyway. So we must make the best of our remaining time instead of anybody considering like we are trapped in a city, the greater danger we are in, you know, the longer we're here, the greater danger we're in, uh, the, you know, the worse it's going to get. They're all sort of like accepting of the captivity they find themselves in this sort of like womb of, uh, you know, whatever poison, whatever, um, uh, you know, uh, corruption Dracula has brought to the town. This like feels like a really broad read. So I want to see if I can get anybody else's opinion on like specifics or ways that that did that ring to you as the movie moved forward toward like close, you know, uh, smaller spaces, um, is closer connections between people, uh, more danger as they get closer, that kind of thing. I like that prompt a bunch. I'm going to start from a slightly different place, but I think eventually I will maybe come around to like more directly I, commenting on I that. I can't wait. Okay, cool. Um, me neither. We'll see how this goes. Um, we've talked, uh, it's come up a few times. The, the sort of, uh, first, a couple scenes or like conversations that uh, Jonathan Harker has with Count Dracula. And I, I think part of the reason these um, like those scenes, the, like they're memorable because of the way that, or rather the ways in which the film builds up to our first meeting with, uh, with Dracula. Um, and it all it kind of going back to, again, the, like the first act, the, the energy is, is much different from the energy that is in like acts two and three, where, um, we're in, oh, what's it called? Wismar, uh, that, that village they're in. Yeah. Wismar, Germany. Um, it's this, um, yeah, like, uh, this this like 10 minute unending sort of wordless generically blankly like content music um i don't really know how to describe it beyond that and maybe it was different in the english version i'm I'm not sure but just like finding out about the gig starting out on this travels it's it's the same one uh not literally one note but just kind of like on a loop this very generic um royalty free kind of song that's that's playing and like it's fine it's like serviceable and i think like it it does um what it needs to do which is like set us up for 
um, like being unnerved and kind of knocked off kilter later when yeah, we actually totally. see. Yeah, go Man, ahead. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, I swear to God, I was going to send into our chat, like, is this music a joke? Right? It, like, <laughs> it absolutely feels intentional in that way, right? It's like MIDI. It's like right. absolutely free, sort of like royalty free shit. Yeah, it's like it. It is almost, and um, I mean Herzog understanding the assignment. Like it's like it's almost mocking, right? And how like simple and just plain, and, and I'll use the word generic again. But like up until you know that music, the, the most beautiful locations anybody has ever been and captured on film ever. Like bringing us to the front door of Dracula's estate, and we see, and we don't have to talk too much about. Um, Klaus Kinski. Um, I know I don't necessarily want to, uh, for reasons that Harry alluded to, but, um, like speaking to his, like the physicality of his performance, I think is like, uh, very, very important and sells what a lot of the movie is, I, I think, trying to do in the later acts. And I, I guess credit to, I mean, the whole, I mean, to, to, Kinski and Herzog and um, like the fucking makeup team, just like everybody who helped to create this uh, literal and figurative creature, but like the, um, you know, the, the makeup, the, the teeth, the, um, oh God, like the clothes he's wearing, the long nails, the, the fact that like, there's an, like a clear understanding of what makes this type of thing frightening and it is almost better um in a certain way that it is um i think to use harry's word really like it is just like a pathetic whatever kind of creature who's like not trying to conceal what uh what he is um but just like if he's moving he's moving very slowly um and or he's he's very still the the shots of him especially in the third act when it is nighttime and he's like running around he's being filmed from below um either literally or or when characters are having dreams and he just pops up i I might be conflating a few things but i don't there's a clear understanding of um of like what's what's creepy about him and people and things like him um and as the like the specific um uh, I, i guess creepiness about him floods into an entire town and fear permeates the whole like there's a curse aboard my ship which by the way i there's probably stories commenting on um, or like just about that sort of idea in general there's like a vampire on a ship killing everything and nobody knows what it is that's like man just that like specific five minutes of the movie really had me hooked that's such uh, i don't know that's such a cool a cool thing. I don't know. Just uh, you know, there's hey, like the ship comes back, everybody's dead. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And all of a sudden, I've lost track of what you originally asked about, Jason. Apologies, but like there is something to it. Um, and I, I, I think the movie is is well aware of it. And like breaking the film up into like three chunks, I think it's uh, I don't know. You get like three very specific, specifically different movies, and the ways in which like. Uh, people and um, well, vampires and fears like those and the interplay between all those things is like, I don't know, noticeably consciously uh, intentionally different, I guess. Really great points, Cody. I wanted to focus on, I guess, three three things. I'll try to be quick. First of all, uh, I think you really captured what I love about the way that Dracula looks in this movie. And not to be too canceled, but there's almost something really appropriate about making Klaus Kinski this character because he's a fucking despicable rat thing. Right there, there's like nothing. There, there there's nothing uh, romantic or beautiful or seductive about 
Nosferatu the vampire. He's disgusting. He's repulsive in the truest sense, right? He is not human. He has discarded everything that makes him vital and human and passionate and become this this loathsome, like, slithering creature of the night that uh, is totally separated from everything that makes something living and human. And it's disgusting that we would want this. It's disgusting that we would want to be that sort of thing. It's disgusting what he wants and what he takes from people, right? And I think that there's something so... It's it's great because they make Dracula... Um, sympathetic while still making him loathsome, right? He's a hateful and hateable creature. Like we're, we're meant to be repulsed by him the way that all of the characters are because it's meant to, it's meant to signal what's supposed to be repulsive about what we want from that ideology, right? And to, to sort of respond to Jason's prompt, I really love the physical geographic journey that this movie takes us on, right? Where as Cody pointed out in the first act, like, there is something so vital and so living about the world that these characters inhabit. Even the, the town is is awash with its whitewashed um, walls and uh, its busy squares. And then we we move into the country where all of these people are fearful of Dracula, but they're they're a rowdy group, right? Like they're they're in pubs and like there there's this beautiful scenery. And uh, Jonathan forsakes all of this to go to this nightmare castle that he even describes as like something out of a dream right it's like it's not real it doesn't feel real it feels like it's something that's completely distanced from what humanity is and then when dracula embarks on the ship having been given the the ability to cross by jonathan basically he brings that unreality with him right where like the the town doesn't change so much as it is altered and warped and like all of a sudden we see it for what it really is with the introduction of Dracula, right? Where it begins to, it begins to take on the character and affectations of Dracula and his nightmare unreality and his distance from humanity. And I really like that symbolically as this sort of idea that the, the, the changeability of, of man, right? Like the idea of memento mori that we know we're dying, that we know that things are ending and changing and transforming. That is what make human beings possible. It's what makes us living and vital, right? And like, to want to combat that is to want to combat nature itself, right? I really think that like that is what they're ultimately getting at here. That is the nature of the struggle between um, Dracula and Lucy, right? Is is that she knows like even if my love dies and he will die because death is overwhelming, she almost like scolds Dracula with that, right? She's like, he says he will never die, and she says, of course he will. Death is overwhelming, everything dies, right? And she says like even if he dies, even if this is all taken from me, even if he never recognizes me again. You and God can't touch the love that we have for one another, right? Like that is the line in the sand that she draws. And to me, that that's sort of like the ultimate idea of humanity, right? Is this idea that like, well, we are ending, we are nothing, right? We are animals, dust to dust, etc. But while we're here, we can be something, we can choose to be something. And if we choose instead to try to preserve that at all costs and uh, deny the idea of death, deny the idea of changeability, then we give up everything that we ever were, right? We become this loathsome, disgusting creature that lives only to take from other people, right? To, to corrupt others because of our own resentment at the idea that we might be destroyed, which is also, it's a really fascinating part of the Dracula mythology that Dracula does loathe being alive, but like he could end it 
himself, right? Like, I don't know, just walk out in the sun, my dude. Like, if it if it's really so bad for you, but he can't do that because, like, the idea of, of doing something that um, sort of proactive <laughs> is is beyond mm-hmm. him in a, in a really interesting way. So, um, yeah, I think that, that the way that the geography suggests, like, look at this town, look at these people, and then, like, we're going to, like, put up this this warped mirror to it so that you can see what it really means when, like, like look at the rats now, you know, like the, the town is still what it was and these people are still who they were, but now they're surrounded by these rats and this plague and look at, Mm -hmm. look at what that means about what they believed and what they really wanted. And that Lucy is then in that, again, in that same scene where all the rats are, you know, all these uh, bleach white rats are uh, sort of scurrying across the town and everybody's dancing in the street and their fires and they're eating, you know, feasts in the middle of the street um, that she feels I mean, one, again, like I said, it's a dream sequence, so there's a little bit of a of a floating air to it, but she feels disconnected from that because she sort of right. realizes that it's now her fate, that she now has to make, that she's made the choice to die in order to end what, you know, Dracula is and what he represents to the town uh, and to the rest of the world. And so that is why she, to, to me, like that moment was, that's why she feels um, no longer part of that, like, uh, vitality of living because she now has, like, she realizes that her purpose, that her, you know, imperative has now pivoted. Like, again, neither God nor Dracula can remove the love in her heart or her husband's for, for each other. But, um, but there's like now something that has come between her and that, that, that now she has, now she's the protagonist basically. And she can't indulge in, you know, the last meal, the last supper, as one of the villagers calls it, um, that she like, that there's now another thing that, that is removing her from what is, what she had considered the living world. What, you know, the, these, uh, these symbols, uh, symbols of, of the world of, of life, of vitality, of, um, you know, of the passions of living, uh, though, like in that moment, she's not full Dracula. I, you know, I sort of, um, loathe the living world because I'm no longer part of it. She is sort of like still sympathetic toward it, even in recognizance that she will die in order to end, you know, the, the terror the Dracula represents. Um, that was a really like interesting pivotal moment for me. And I think interesting in building that character that late in the movie, uh, was like, yes, she was the symbol of vitality, of beauty, of purity, all of that. And then she realizes once she like that, she's going to have to give that up, that, that, that her role is then to become like the anti Dracula, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she literally becomes a Christ figure in this movie, right? She sacrifices herself Mm -hmm. to save humanity. And in doing so, she, she comes to, uh, to understand what purity, quote unquote, really is in a way that neither Jonathan nor Dracula ever really understood, right? It's not right. This, it's not this virginal, um, virginal untouchability, this incorruptibility, this sort of like unchangeability. It's actually the the opposite of that, right? It's like it's this ability to be moved by and love and connect with and touch uh, nature and people, right? And to be touched by them and to be changed by them and to accept the world for for what it is and to love the world for what it is instead of discarding and rejecting it as something that is unclean and impure the way that Dracula and later Jonathan does and I really love the um the sort of ultimate audience indicting conclusion that's such a great irony of this movie which is that like Lucy didn't fail because of corruptibility of her own 
right? Even even her sort of like desire to be taken by Dracula at the end is not why she failed. She failed because Jonathan never was equal to that, right? Because he wanted the things that Dracula wanted. He wanted her as symbol, as sort of like undying, uncorruptible idea mm-hmm. to be strived for because of how it makes him feel about himself. And in my mind, that's why he becomes the vampire at the end. And that's why this whole sort of like sad cycle is going to play out again. It's not like Dracula was never the ultimate evil here. The ultimate evil was what men like Jonathan and the class that he represents really want, right? Which is this power, this power to be unchanged, this power to um, project themselves to uh, sort of like colonize reality, right? To project themselves and their desires and their will and their immortality onto nature is this unnatural thing that these people end up wanting because they think they're important enough for it. And that's the, that's the problem, right? I think that that's, that's a, that's a really good ending. It's a really striking ending. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Before we do go out, we teased it a couple of times uh, and I want to ask Cody real quick. um, Was there anything about the German language version of this film that stuck out as particularly, I don't know, nuanced or something that's stuck in your craw? Cause there were elements of the English version that um, I'm wondering if they carried over a little bit, some stilted language, maybe stylistic stuff. Um, Honestly, like nothing, nothing off, uh, I guess without watching both of them, I can't necessarily say, cause like, and it speaks to, uh, again, probably our like limited mileage with Herzog in general, like without having enough data, I don't like, I, I hesitate to say that like, Oh, like this weird thing, this weird Dracula movie, um, like hit me in a a way that's weirder than all the other weird ways. Because, um, if anything, it meant, Hey, if I needed to like, um, like close my eyes for a second, I couldn't just like listen (laughs) to them saying something, uh, about, uh, about bloodsuckers. Um, there there were a few times I'd rewind again. That's my own problem. But yeah, I don't know. Like it was like, um, I don't know, like operatic and, and, um, like elements of, of like sequences of grandeur, like the, I mean, the, I think the, the things that are particularly, I'll use, um, the word we've said a couple times, the things that are particularly striking about, um, this adaptation are like rightfully like the visual components. Um, and, and just like, I mean, that, sort of assuming they're not edited differently um which i don't know maybe they were but like uh i, I don't know the, those to me were the things that like um not stood out the most but the the things that were the like the the most sort of like i raised an eyebrow at because of like in good ways mostly but yeah nothing offhand made me um think that like yeah i don't know the, the fact that this is in german um uh, you know, it comes off a, a, a certain way or some, a way that I wouldn't expect. Um, but again, I have the brain, the size of a pea and, uh, I'm, uh, like down to learn hey, a Cody, lot more about, Cody, stop uh, discouraging no yourself every time you talk. I I'm tired of it. You're a great, smart dude and a great podcaster. I'm sick of it. Stop it. Bring it home, baby. Uh, yeah, I wanted to just shout out the one like big Herzogism that I really loved. I mean, Herzog is sort of like a man who requires no introduction almost, but like, uh, I watched this on Amazon Prime, so I'm sorry, everyone. I know Prime sucks. I want Jeff Bezos is the worst, uh, but he's he's the real Nosferatu. Am I right, guys? Um, but I will say that uh, the the very beginning of this movie, which is very famous and very maybe infamous, uh, is of the Guanajuato. Uh, mummies which are real desiccated naturally desiccated naturally mummified corpses of human beings who died during uh the 1833 cholera epidemic 
uh, epidemic in that city. Um, and like Herzog chose to uh, film these these mummies as uh, the opening shots of the film as part of the nightmare sequence, presumably that uh, that um, Lucy goes through and they're arranged from child to adults. Right. And, and actually like Herzog took them out of their display cases and arranged them from child to adult because Herzog is a fucking crazy person. But um, so the, the rating came up at the beginning of this movie uh, and it said rated PG. And as it said, rated PG, I was looking at the eyeless drained corpse of a child (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah, this is a this is a Herzog movie. We're in. Like, I'm we're doing this. It's happening. Really good uh, Halloween movie. Really um, terrifying opening sequence. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, that sounded like a final thought out of the movie. Um, were there any more uh, rattling around in those in those heads of yours before we uh, head into our final segment of the show? I am ready for the final segment. I'm excited for the final segment. It's it's As a great segment. We never get um, like previews of Cody's noties, but we did get a hint that we needed to know how many people were going to be on the podcast this time, which feels like more of a peek than we usually get behind the curtain of our final segment. Our uh, final which, segment. Harry, thank you. Which we call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's noties. Wow. Thank you, uh, as always, gentlemen, for that very uh, spooky uh, introduction um, to the season. Given our as we just alluded to, our, our uh, very limited mileages with Werner Herzog, I figured it'd be nice to um, calibrate or or recalibrate a bit before we watch more of his movies in the coming weeks. Um, I don't think we have our, our recording schedule set, but hey, we'll figure it out. Um, and it's inevitably going to be filled with a lot of this guy's movies. Uh, and to prepare for his upcoming slate of films at the Trilon, I've put together a little something I like to call the Werner Herzog guessing game sung to the tune of spooky yuki guessing game i guess um, <laughs> references um syllables what i'm gonna do is uh i'm gonna alternate between the two of you um so this is i think i don't know if we've done one quite like this before where i'm gonna like ask one of you a question and then pivot to the other person and ask a different question i wanted to confirm how many people were on here just to make sure i had uh, a, a total number divisible by the right uh number of participants so uh what i'm gonna do is uh, alternate between the two of you asking if a specific um, title or work includes any sort of credited contribution from Werner Herzog. Uh, so this can include directing, writing, acting, makeup, any sort of credit works for our purposes here in the game. So um, I'll go to one of you, I'll announce the title. You tell me either, you know, yes, Herzog had a hand in this or no, he didn't. And if you're correct, you'll get a point. Uh, the person with the most points at the end wins. As always, uh, trivia mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your Googles. Um, who is it that did, was it was Aaron who realized after how many times doing this that that's actually what Trivia Mafia says? He thought he got my ass. Yeah, um, he was like he was like offended oh, Cody, by it. You stole you stole that from Trivia Mafia. It's like, dude, I, I've heard Cody say Trivia Mafia rules like six hundred times. It's uh, shout out to to Aaron who is not on the episode today. Um, we're getting hey, Aaron's well, right well, now. We're getting Aaron uh, last night as I was driving him to my sister's party. Shout out to my sister's party. He's looking around and he's like, "Oh, how come, how come there aren't any kids out trick or treating?" And I was like, "Excuse me," and he's like, "Don't kids go trick or treating the night before Halloween?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he thought that <laughs> he thought that the trick or treating that happens 
happens on the night before Halloween, which presumably would mean that there isn't trick-or-treating on Halloween. So, like, why wouldn't the holiday be – it was absurd, and he was, like, totally serious about it. This is not me giving him an olive branch. In the moment, I thought it was him thinking like, oh, if the holiday takes place on a Sunday or like on a school night, then they do it like I think that's before. giving him way too much credit. I don't think again, which again, which is also day. wrong. Like that's very wrong. Halloween has never been like that. Um, it is uh, an anti-capitalist. Um, well, that's not true. Um, it doesn't care about school nights is what I'm trying to say. It's anti-institution. Perhaps. He was also like, why, why would they put Halloween on a Sunday? I was like, dude, what? <laughs> He, basically, Aaron doesn't know what Halloween is, uh, and he's never heard of it before. He had also never heard of the Monster Mash uh, when we played it at said party. So, Which is really know. fucked up. I don't know about That's this the most guy, egregious. Guys. Yeah, not having heard of the Monster Mash is maybe the most egregious, spooky offense uh, of them all. Um, I guess bringing us back on track here, Trivia Mafia rules. Uh, they apply here, as they always do. Use your noodles, not your Googles. Uh, by the end of this, uh, unless we have a tie, you know, we will come out. We'll have, you know, one of us will be a loser. One of us will be a Werner. Uh, with that, let's <laughs> jump in here. Um, I'll start with Harry. Oh, we'll go alphabetical by first name order for this. So um, this one's just for Harry. Harry, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, again. I'll, I'll give you a, a title of a work. You tell me, did, uh, does Herzog, uh, Herzog, Herzog has a, <laughs> does he have a credited contribution to that work? And what I'm going to uh, uh, give to you first is Twin Peaks. Does Werner Herzog have a, contribu- uh, a credited contribution to this work? Yes or no? I believe so, yes. He does not. Uh, sorry if that was loud for the microphone, Jason. Um, Werner Herzog, no credited contribution that I could find to, to Twin Peaks. Um, but shout out to Twin Peaks for being Twin Peaks. You got me, I Cody. Guess. Good one. Uh, that's, I, th- uh, I thought for sure that motherfucker got his, mu- got his mitts on Twin Peaks at some point, right? It, it only but- makes sense. I mean, much like much like Barry Keegan, anytime that weird little freak Herzog is in a is in a work, you better <laughs> buckle up. You better buckle up. Um, speaking of of uh, little freaks, uh, Jason is not one of those little freaks. Um, hey. He's next up here. Uh, Jason, the work I have for you is The Simpsons. Does Herzog have a credited contribution to The Simpsons? Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, he has provided the Ooh. the voice for a few characters over the past, I think, like decade or so, starting in, in 2011. Uh, most recently, he voiced a, uh, a version of himself as a character, I guess. Uh, so that's cool. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Why, why not? Uh, go off, King. So, all right. That's that's the first round. That's <laughs> go, go off, King. It works. <laughs> I don't know. I would like to voice not voicing not just a character, but voicing yourself in, a, in an animated program. That's I, don't I know. will say. It's, that's how you know you've made it. It's like it's like Weird Al Yankovic covering your song. It's like it's one of those just industry signifiers that you have actually made it. You get to be yourself. I mean, I think on an knew he made it before that, but I no. That is cool. No, he, he was he was <laughs> racked by uh, by insecurity and incompetence all the way up until nineteen eighty something. Whenever the, I don't know the Simpsons. Uh, Cody, next question. <laughs> I don't know the Simpsons, the Jason Daphne story. Uh, moving back to Harry um, for his second question. Uh, Harry, the work I have for you is Parks and Recreation. Uh, does Herzog have a credited contribution to Parks and Recreation? Oh, God. I used to watch a lot of Parks and Recreation when I was significantly less jaded than I am now. Uh, I th- I'm i going to say yes. I don't remember what it is, but I want to say yes. 
Harry says yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, in an episode, and I'm not familiar with this one. I've not seen every episode of Parks and Recreation, but he played a, a one-time character named Keg Jeggings, which uh, is something. So <laughs> that's very good. Sorry, I was slow to the mute button, but that's a really good name. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's not bad. They had their moments. Uh, Jason uh, is up next. Jason, the title I have for you is Batman Returns. Yes or no for Herzog? Fire him from the hip. No. Fired from the hip, and it is a hit. Uh, Herzog did not have a hand in Batman Returns. Um, shout out to Batman Returns. I I decided I am going to add that to my um, Christmas movie uh, list queue um, because it is ostensibly a Christmas movie. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. So shout out to Batman Returns. And shout out to Harry, uh, who are pivoting back over to his third title uh to discern whether or not uh herzog was a part of um that was a grammatically iffy clause um toy story 4 yes harry says yes the answer is no that little freak did not have a hand in toy story 4 <laughs> i thought he voiced the character didn't he who am i thinking of keanu uh, reeves um i don't know that's that other little freak <laughs> The phrase, the, the phrase "little freak" is just so funny. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it was it. I thought I did. That's too bad. It is very good. It's my favorite phrase. I think my favorite there theme are... phrase. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, um, maybe we'll get to that. I, 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 I don't think that one's in the. No, that's. I don't think. Oh, it is. It is my. my is it is. I think oh. we're recording on it. So anyway, we'll go on. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Also, I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of like. Uh, I don't know about little freaks, just like old white wrinkled freaks in Hollywood. Um, that um, I, I don't know. Herzog is is not necessarily among the muck with with some of them. Um, not to say that he's a perfect specimen of a of a man, but hey, you know, there's I don't know. There, shout out to all the white dudes who we, we get confused because they're all the same and they all suck. Moving along to Jason's third question here, uh, third uh, work rather. Uh, the wind rises. Yes or no. Ooh, yes. Yes, he does. Jason says yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, Herzog provided the voice for the character Castorp in the English dub. Um, I don't remember that character, and I forgot to look him up. But he, he uh, wow. It looks strikingly like Werner Herzog, actually. Like a very long, droopy type face, if I remember correctly. I, I, I like that. It's a good performance. Do you, think that, nice. do you think that Hayao Miyazaki and Werner Herzog ever met? I don't think I could handle that. Mm. The, the two titans <laughs> that of that stature, two old kings <laughs> meeting that way. Holy shit. And actually, like, soulmates, maybe. They have, like, way more in common than you would think. Wow. Uh, if Hayao Miyazaki had more than one movie left in him, maybe, maybe they could do something. But Don't say that. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, never going to die. He's Nosferatu. That is true. Nosferatu, two, um, or in this case, Nosferatu seven, um, seven out of ten. Everybody gets five apiece, and this is Harry's uh, f- uh, fourth, his second to last prompt. I just said a lot of numbers, and my brain hurts now. Uh, Harry, the title for you now uh, is Wings of Desire. Yes or no? Man. Oh yes. Harry says yes. The answer is. No, Herzog does not have a credited contribution to Wings of Desire. Um, but Bruno Gans was in uh, both of those movies. Uh, so, hey, 
accidentally placing Werner Herzog into uh, the movies. I just imagine. I thought he was the director of the movie within the movie in Wings of Desire. Oh, sure. Is this... I, I, Harry, I know what you're doing right now. You're doing that 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 Twitter thing where um, I can't remember the the user, but who's photoshopping Paddington into a one movie I, a day? You're Turner just like, Herzog? yeah, you're well, mentally photoshopping Herzog into every huh? great work of cinema. That great. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds really really dope. Um, speaking of great works of cinema, we're moving along to Jason's fourth and second to last uh, title, which is Penguins of Madagascar. Yes or no? Oh God. Um... I'm going to say yes, because that sounds just like DreamWorksy enough to loop him in. He narrated sure. that motherfucker, didn't he? He uh, he provided the voice for the character uh, who was named, uh, and I quote, documentary filmmaker. So I guess I need to see Penguins of Madagascar now. Um, well, it's going to be showing at the trial on, isn't it? As part of the early Herzog series. Oh, yeah, that's right. Get your tickets today. Um, that's the anchor for that theme. <laughs> Penguins of Madagascar. Um, brilliant. Well, uh Listen, we got one more title apiece. Um, Jason it is not has, anyone's game. Jason has got a staggering <laughs> four for four. Um, Harry is on the board with one. Uh, I should have been giving more score updates, um, but it's kind of like disrupting a no hitter. You don't want to like uh, say anything for fear of like, um, you know, uh, causing a superstitious, inadvertent uh, outcome. But one more title apiece. Uh, let's let's see how many more points we can get on the board here. Starting with Harry, Harry, the, uh, the title or the work I have for you is star Wars, the clone wars, uh, that recent animated TV show, um, Herzog. Yay or nay, man. I don't know. Uh, he was in Mandalorian. He was in, uh, force awakens. So I'm going to say yes. Harry says, yes. The answer is no, no participation in the clone wars. He was, uh, he was in the Mandalorian. Who is he in Force Awakens? Uh, we don't need to get into that now. He was. Um, uh, he was in the village that gets attacked by um, Finn's. That troopers. is Max von Sydow. <laughs> Another noted little freak. <laughs> Max von Sydow and Igmar Bergman and Werner Herzog are all the same guy. I don't. You know. <laughs> Oh, shut up, man. Uh, I'll say it again. Shut up to all the little freaks of the world. You fucked up little troll (laughs) monsters. Um, We got one more title here. Jason, the last one I have for you is Inglorious Bastards. Yes or no? I'm going to say no. You're going to say no. You're going to go five for five because you are also a little freak. Um, I I can't. I I don't like watching Kirk Gibson hit a, a home run in the 1988 world series game one. I do not believe what I just saw. That is a sports you know, reference. This was just, this was just cynicism winning out over optimism and love of life. Again, I imagine, I simply imagined a better world wherein Werner Herzog was in every media property. I don't <laughs> think that that's something to disparage personally. It's <laughs> hey, nobody. No, nobody is. I will just say, I, I don't know yet if this exercise uh, in this specific form will resurface, um, you know, over the next, you know, in the coming weeks, the next month or, or not. So I'll just say, at least for today, that concludes the, the Werner Herzog guessing game. Uh, Jason, do you have any um, pop off words that you would like to put out into the void? I would like to say, um, uh, I mean, e- easily. The, OK, so there's 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 just one Werner, uh, only one Werner. But in this room, there are three learners. We've all learned something. Um, I, I feel like we've learned a lot uh, today. Just I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to you know 
rise all tide, rise all boats with with my tide. Um, <laughs> but remember that I do control that tide. Um, <laughs> we've earned a lot. <laughs> we've earned we've earned a lot. Uh, no, that was um that was fun. Did did we actually go like five me zero Harry? Did he get none? No, no I got, got one. one. You, you got fuck one. Off. Okay. There was there was a there's there's just your pinky is holding your rock climber that just touched the wall. He got the one right about uh, Parks and Rec. His, his oh, that's right. right. My favorite fucking show. That's right. You can't bring <laughs> that's that. That's right. When, you, I, when is... somebody asks you if Werner Herzog was in a thing, you say yes. All right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I, I was raised. I don't make the rules, guys. Well, here You're we are. Not wrong. At the end of another episode of Trial Love, uh, for which I thank you for listening to it. Uh, I never get the grammar on that right but uh thank you for listening to our little podcast uh you can find us on twitter at trial of podcast uh you can find me on twitter at nintendo you can find um a lot of great things in many other episodes of trial love i've alluded to a couple of them over the course of the of this episode but um you'll find an excellent edition of cody's noties ever since episode like 650 some or mid podcast we've started we we started institutionalizing cody's noties and uh, and i enjoy it every single time maybe more each time uh but for right now uh you can uh, get tickets to the uh films playing in the early herzog series playing at the trilon at trilon.org that again is t-r-y-l-o-n.org uh, while you're there, you can get some popcorn, you can get some merch, you can find other cool ways to support the Trilon because it's one of a very small number of repertory cinemas uh, across the nation and specifically in Minnesota. Um, you should uh, you should hit it up. It's a great place and you might just see us there. Uh, if you do, be safe, wear a mask uh, as much as you're as much as you physically can. Uh, enjoy yourself, but um, but be respectful. It's a small place and there are a lot of people there a lot of the time. Uh, happy Halloween. It will already have been Halloween by the time this episode comes out, but um, I hope this isn't, uh, I hope the, the, the uh, aura of spooky season continues at least two days into November. State of mind, baby. It's a spooky state of mind. Uh, now you're in um, spook, spook your, uh, now I, I, I can't do that. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, this has been an episode of Try Love about Nosferatu the Vampire, directed by Werner Herzog. Find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, yeah, thanks, fellas, for talking about this this very this very fine. Uh, I was about to say very fun film. Uh, shit, whatever. It's fun. Um, again, <laughs> fun. It's got a vampire in it. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. Vampires, uh, little funny. freaks. You gotta love them. Um, uh, com- uh, piggybacking. Spooky season is a state of mind. Um, it's no longer Halloween. It's Halloween today when we're recording. It will be what November second when this episode comes out. So, oh, uh, happy birthday to my mother. Um, she does not listen to the pod, so I'll need to. I'll, I'll, I'm saying this like I didn't already plan on giving my mom a call on her birthday, um, but that'll happen. She's never going to hear this. Um, what am I supposed to? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do an outro. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. You know, guys, this is audacious, but I think our audacity has been re- rewarded before in the past with Sam Wayman and with Craig Bartlett. I think we're going to get Werner Herzog on the pod. We're going to have him on and he's going to talk about his career. So Werner, if you're listening to this, sorry, I didn't know very much about your uh, appearances in other films. Jason did, though, so maybe that makes up for it. And we would love to have you on the pod, um, my my friend. <laughs> so uh, if, if Werner Herzog would like to come on the podcast and if anybody knows how we can reach out to him, let us know. We would love to talk to him, probably. We would probably love to talk to him. I don't know if he's necessarily been canceled. I don't think he has been. Um, 
but I would like to, if he has been canceled, I rescind this offer. I don't think that that's the case in, if he has not been canceled, I apologize for sort of covering my bases here, Werner, you know, you can't be too careful. You were friends with Klaus Kinski for a long time. That's kind of weird. It's kind of fucked up. I know you made a whole movie about how he's an asshole, but like still, you know, um, I've been Harry Mack and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. I don't attach importance to the sunshine anymore or to glittering fountains, which youth is so fond of. I love the darkness and the shadows where I can be alone with my thoughts. I'm the descendant of an old family. Time is an abyss profound as a thousand nights. Centuries come and go. To be unable to grow old is terrible. That is not the worst. There are things more horrible than that. Can you imagine enduring centuries experiencing the same futility every day? Mm-hmm.